from phx.fm. This is Conversation with the Rabbi, featuring open, honest dialogue and sometimes unconventional perspectives on the world we all share. Welcome back for another Conversation with the Rabbi. I'm Adrian McIntyre. Our host for this program is Rabbi Michael Bayo, CEO of the East Valley Jewish Community Center. Good morning, Rabbi. How are you today? Good morning, Adrian. I'm doing awesome. How are you today? Well, I'm so glad to hear it. You know, there's a lot of unawesome things <laughs> happening around us. So it's always good to hear that uh, you're, you're maintaining the course. Our guest for this conversation, and I'm really looking forward to this one, is Yale Strom. Yale is a professor at San Diego State University, but more than an academic He's a researcher, a performer, someone with a deep passion for the arts and culture. And we're going to learn more about that today, whether it takes the form of violin or composition or film, uh, stories, etc. Yale, I'm excited that you're here. Welcome to the conversation with the rabbi. Thank you, Adrian. Thank you for inviting me. Now, as I read your bio and, and looked at some of the projects that you've worked on, I'm struck by the breadth of the directions, the different ways that your creative interests have taken you. And there was something in there. I wonder if you could start by just sharing with us. You dropped a little hint that it was your research that sparked your creativity, not the other way around. So can you give us a little overview of your work and kind of all the different domains in which you you play? Sure, sure. So for those who don't know me, um, uh Formative years through, let's say, elementary school years, Detroit. So I'm a pr- proud former Detroiter. And then um, moved with the family to San Diego. Uh, went to grad school at NYU and lived for, oh, almost 20 years in New York City. So I, I often say I've lived by the three great bodies of water, the Atlantic, the Pacific, and the Great Lakes. Now back to the Pacific. Um, so middle school, high school, undergrad in San Diego. So um, when I so just before I got into what brings me here to both of you and the rabbi is, um, you know, uh, I I got my first degree in American studies, literature and history emphasis, and then decided to go. I I didn't know what I was going to do with it. I was sort of default. I I was studying abroad and they said, oh, you can't put undeclared major. You had to put something. And I looked at all these humanities classes. and. Oh, American studies is a nice umbrella. Um, and then, uh, so I, and I wanted to work with my hand and then I, well, I've always liked art. So, and I, I think I get that from my mother who had studied painting at Michigan state university. Um, and my parents liked music and so forth. And I was playing the violin, you know, studying classical and playing little, <clears throat> little recitals, but never thought about making a profession out of it. And then I decided to go back to school and studied furniture design. And so I studied that and, and worked on that for, got the degree, worked in a factory, planing the left side of a rocking chair, like piecemeal, you know, and every time I had an idea, I'd go up to the, the, the floor manager and he'd say, you know, Strom, <laughs> yeah, we'll talk later, get, get your quota done today. And I go, oh yeah. And after about six, seven months of that, I, I was bored and you know, it just was tough. And I said, oh, I don't know, maybe, you know, I could maybe open a little shop, but I'll, I'll starve. I don't know. I was just, you know, stressed out. So then I decided to go to law school because I, I, I've always been, a, I come from a home where um, 
imbued with a, a strong sense of our Jewish culture, East European of, of, you know, my grandparents, both my father and mother, very proud of it. American, you know, baseball, Chevrolet. We, we drove Chevrolets coming from Detroit. We, we drove American made cars, um, but also imbued with a strong social conscience uh, politically. Uh, I'm very proud to say we're progressives before even people say progressives today. Um, so imbued with all that. And so I thought, oh, um, um, you know, civil rights law or ACLU or who knows, labor law. So um, I, I, I took the test and waiting for the, uh, you know, some rejections came and some <laughs> acceptances came. And I went, but at the, during that time, I, um, it was, so I was still living at home and I was with a buddy and um, the revival of Klezmer was just beginning. Uh, and this was the early 80s. And um you know, Jewish East European music for those who say, hey, we just said a word. I don't know what it means. Think of Fiddler on the Roof. Think of wedding Jewish music. Happy, you know, can be slow sometimes, a little sad, but it's generally it's happy music. It's party music. And um, and I knew about this. And I, I had grown with Jewish music, not particularly that instrumental time. I grew up with more like a kind of religious melodies around the table, Hasidic, the Kabbalistic, mystic melodies, because my father's side of the family came from that mystical side of Judaism. Um, and in synagogue melodies, whatever, and some Yiddish folk songs. But but a buddy said, Oh, there's this it's downtown San Diego, it's at a club, it's not it's an it's not at a Jewish edifice, it's not, it's not at a bar mitzvah for a wedding or anything. It's, it's a it's a club. So I went and I uh, was curious to see it and uh and I knew a couple of people in the band. Um it was a big band too, it was interesting, it was about twelve to fifteen people and the arrangements were interesting. So basically during the intermission. I went to up to the band leader and said, "Hey, do you need a? What my? You know, can I give you my card? <laughs> you know, maybe you, uh, you can hire me someday, or can I jam with you, or just rehearse, whatever." I was interested. Got either I was kind of excited, and and basically he said, "Don't call us. We'll call you." And okay, you know, whatever. So we came home, and I got home probably about three a.m. You know, and literally a light bulb went off and uh, it really, it changed the, my, you know, it was like a 360 or what's that? A 520? No, a 720, it was, you know, a turn in my head. Um, I decided, cause I was already, I was, I was, I was going to the library and the law section and, you know, figured, let me read up a little bit on torts and let's just get a little, you know, so I'm not, you know, so I'm sort of with the students cause um, you know, I hadn't really, taking all law quote stuff in, in undergrad. And, but I was not enjoying it. I was doing it. I mean, I was enjoying the idea of becoming the lawyer, but got three years of it. It's studying and, and cost of money, you know, even with a little scholarship promise, it was still going to be a lot of money and I was going to be paying for it loans. Um, and then, so I came home and I said, you know, if you can't beat them, join them. No, if you can't beat them, form your own. And that's when I decided to form my own klezmer, Jewish instrumental, East European Jewish band. But if you're going to form it and there's already one there and they're playing and they're getting gigs and concerts, you got to be a little different. You know, you can't open the same restaurant a block away. You know, what makes if they've already, you know, they hung their shingle a couple of years before you. So how are you going to get the customers to come to you? So I thought, ah, I wonder if there's music still in the memories of Jews, non-Jews, whatever, in Eastern Europe who are still living there. And so I bought a one-way ticket to Vienna because that was a portal to the East Block then. You know, Vienna was the biggest city, 
quote, in the Western zone, and then you're, you know, and in the hegemony of the Soviet Union, so to speak, the Soviet East Bloc, and thinking two, three months and ended up being over a year um, searching for um, melodies and et cetera. And, but, um, and I did form my band. Initially, it was called Zemiros, which means melodies in Hebrew. Uh, Zemirot, Zemiros, the Ashkenaz way, the old Hebrew way. But it's today, it's hot pastrami, hot pastrami. It's been that for it was for for decades. And so, just to finish up, um, but my interest focused first, you know, folk music, ethnomusicology. If we want to use that, we can use that academic term like Bartok was and the Lomax family. John and Alan giving us great uh, music from the Americas. Um, but then my interests widened. Okay, so who are these interesting people? Who are these Jews who returned from the Holocaust? So they all suffered, whether they returned from the ghettos they survived in, forests they hid in, uh, military they fought in with the Russians, the Soviets, uh, or they had been taken, uh, uh, had um, run and, and, and saved themselves by being in Central Asia, whatever. There's still about a quarter of a million Jews outside Russia, Soviet Union, living in like Poland, Bulgaria, Yugoslavia. For, these are former Yugoslavia, former Czechoslovakia, Hungary, Romania, these interesting countries. And um, so then um, uh, and then when I formed the band, did my first recording, went back again a couple of years later with my photographs, took more, went with a buddy, really. So I'm, I'm looking at life in in its totality, all kinds of culture. What makes people tick here and why do they stay in a place that the streets literally ran with blood of their family? Um, it's not easy to be, it's not easy to be a human in East Block if you're a free thinker and you're creative, but also Jews. We know that the Soviets were hard on, on minorities, particularly Jews, uh, et cetera. And, um, and also my contact with the music and playing the violin. I'm a violinist, very proud to be. The violin opened the doors. The violin allowed me to meet another group of people that also played music with the Jews sometimes in certain regions. And who are those? The Roma, gypsies, but it's the PC word. We really should say Roma. And it has nothing to do with the Rome, good old Rome, Italy, um, or Roma tomatoes. It means a man in Sanskrit. They're, they, they are not uh, Semites. They are from India. They're actually Aryans. They're from North um, Western India, Rajasthan, Southeastern Pakistan, Baluchistan. And so all these years later, so I kept going back. And so my interest in Yiddish culture, Roma culture, music, but brought into the politics of the day, et cetera. So, so, by re so here I have this research but then I said, okay, I could just, I could, I could just, I mean, you know, write a book or write some articles, um, very academic, which is fine. I, you know, I, 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 I think being an, in, an intellectual, it's not a bad thing. And, you know, <laughs> we won't go into politics these last four years that nothing wrong with having intellect and thinking, but I wanted to meet, reach the masses if I could, because, uh, and Adrian, you understand this, and I think even the rabbi understand this, you know, if you write just for a specific group, and, and so you get your stuff posted in a ethnomusicology journal or anthropology journal, that's fine. So 400, 500, 600, 1,000 intellectuals and others will read it in the world. I wanted to reach, you know, sounding kind of egotistical, I wanted to reach millions. So that that's why I started doing documentary films, writing books, creating recordings, doing theater plays, photo exhibits. And I'm proud to say 
you know, and all artists have to have an ego. If you don't, then you're not a real artist. I'm proud to say, though, my work has reached millions of people. I know that for a fact. And that's what's, and that's how I'm here in front of you two wonderful people today. That little side trip of deciding not to go to law school, to form my own band, and using my art to be able to understand and research and preserve and extol and push forth the culture. I don't like it. the last thing before I open it up. A lot of people say, oh, are, are you preserving the tradition as it was? Well, I'm if I take a photo or I record somebody from 30, 40 years ago, you hear that we captured that moment. But musically, I'm pushing the envelope. Um, uh, you know, I can play the traditional sounds, traditional folk, the traditional Jewish, East European. But I'm also interested in the music that moves me, whether it's jazz or classical or different kinds of uh, uh, folk music from around the world. And so I end with this. So some people might say, oh, Yale, that, 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 that sounds a little jazz you added there in that klezmer, a little too much Roma, or maybe there's a little bluegrass or something. I said, oh, yeah, you have good ears. So, yeah. So it's not traditional. I said, oh, so what's traditional klezmer? Well, that 1913 recording that I hear, oh, let's put it on. And you hear, oh, that's very nice. Yes. And guess what? I say to the gentleman being trying to be polite and not sarcastic. And what about that recording from 1813? And what about that recording from 1713? You think that cat, that musician in 1713 is playing the same way as the cat in 1913? I rest my case. Next subject. <laughs> Meaning culture, like humanity, we change, we evolve. Doesn't mean we don't forget our roots. And bring them with us to that time that we're living right now, today, whatever, December 9, I think it is, or 8, whatever it is, 2020. But we also look forward to the future. And also, if you want to attract people, and meaning to attract youth, because youth become that next generation. And so youth say, I like old, I like traditional, I like retro, but I also, how do you speak to me in my times? So that's, that's how I view my research academically and artistically. Thank you, Yale, very much. Uh, you know, you definitely had a, a wonderful career and you still have a wonderful career in front of you. Our association with Yale started uh, two years ago when we did our first Klezmer Festival here at East Valley JCC. Uh, and hopefully our collaboration with East Valley JCC and Yale will continue for many years. But Yale, let me ask you a question. Um, as we know, since the destruction of the temple 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem, the rabbis instituted a ban on music. And, um, you know, just because the rabbis instituted a ban did not mean that <laughs> Jews kept it. But there was this concept that we are so uh, terribly sad because of the destruction of the temple that music per se was relegated only to the synagogue settings, to ritual music. And so... To what extent and at what point in time could you, as a music historian, point to a point in time where we took the music and the melodies from the synagogue outside of the synagogue? And moreover than that, to what extent is Klezmer music really Jewish? <laughs> because... Because we lost in my that's my contention is that because of the prohibition of playing music, um, we lost the music, the traditional music of the temple. Uh, 
And so to what extent we can talk about Jewish music today and classical music specifically as Jewish. Maybe we should talk about it that, that it is an import, a, a mishmash, a cholent, as we say, of influences from all over the world where Jews were that came into our prayers, that came into our life. What do you say? Well, both great questions. Well, first, um, there was that prohibition, uh, you know, the temple, the second temple is destroyed 70 AD, the year 70, and we're in this constant mourning in until the, the, the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Um, but really we see, well, first of all, let's just say, yes, I'm Jewish, this person's Christian, Muslim, whatever, we're humans. It's almost, um, it goes against the grain of just the human existence to not allow a human to enjoy music. First of all, we're of all the art forms, and I'm, I'm saying this, you know, I could be proven wrong, but in my humble bias, of all the art forms that we that we participate in as humans, uh, music is the foremost. And and one might say, oh, I, I've never played a lick of music. I you know I listened to the radio or the iPod, but uh, I said, no, as soon as you came out of, well, <laughs> even while you were in your mother's womb, but as soon as you came out, it's music. Why? Not only the crying, but what? Rhythm. Because if your heart is doing this, uh, flatline, you ain't living too well, dude. <laughs> you got to have beats and your lungs. And rhythm is the essential aspect of our lives, how we walk and we move, how I move my arms like this as I'm talking with my hands, the rhythm of my voice. And so it's, and, 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 and I often tell my students, if we all were to cry on, on, on the count of three, and I was recording everybody, and then pause after 30 seconds, let's all laugh on the count of three. You would hear like, whoa, this is this concophony, interesting sounds. So it, it, music is a part of who we are naturally. So I think when the rabbi said, wagged their fingers, said, okay, no, no music, we're mourning, except in the Beit Knesset, in the synagogue, and, you know, for the rituals, um, some people followed that. Others just, you know, quietly didn't want to uh, go against the rabbis to their face, but said, well, screw that. I, I'm a human. I, I'm whistling while I'm pulling while my uh, my oxen is you know me are, are hoeing this field you know th this is hard work and and i'm in israel bloody hell man it's 90 degrees in the shade maybe a hundreds Fahrenheit. i gotta keep my mind on something so the sweat and hard work so music is a part of our human the human condition now in terms of True facts, we know that by the, uh, there were wandering Jewish minstrels already in the sixth, seventh century. You know, we've heard the word Jean Louis French, troubadour. We use that word in English, right? Troubadour. I'm a troubadour. Troubadours wandered. We had troubadours in the time of Shakespeare. So there's, um, uh, uh, so, so there were Jewish, uh, uh, wandering minstrels singing for the Jewish communities, but also for anybody who would throw a coin. You know, they, they needed, you know, so they had a big repertoire. But interesting, the Maharal, the the Red Blue in Prague, in Prague, the great rabbi who who would, had a great status in all of the Europe, he said that the mitzvah, the deed of making the bride and groom happy on the day that they get married, is 
is greater than you following what those rabbis have said. Don't play music. So I, it, so I saw in the archives, and I wrote this down in my, in my book called The Book of Klezmer, where he, he, he said to this couple, they came to him and they said, Rabbi, what are we going to do this? And he said, listen, go take the boat with the, 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 the rower and row across the river to that town and play music. There's no restriction and sing because you should. How can you start your chatuna, your Jewish wedding? How can you start your new life with no music? It's what? You're shaking? You're crazy? So anyhow, so slowly, slowly, um, you know, it's just part of who we are. And I'll, uh, before I go to your second question, the Hasidim. So here we are, 18th century, 1700, uh, uh, the Baal Shem Tov Rabbi Israel Eliezer, the great wonder rabbi, uh, rabbi Rebbe, passes away in 1760. There's so much we can go in the history. But to me, the key to the Hasidic philosophy is don't walk, don't go around life just going, oh, oh, woe is me. It's the pandemic. This is terrible. Oh, the cloud is over my head always. I'm just, and even when the, the sun's out, no. <laughs> In other words, seeing the glass always half empty instead of half full. He says, no. Sadness is an anathema. God doesn't want sadness. He wants joy from you. And just studying, studying, studying for study's sake. Or just doing a mitzvah because you know God's looking at you. Oh, see, I did the mitzvah, God. No, no. Be happy for the intrinsic value that it brings happiness to you because God's saying, ah, I made you. I want you to be happy. And how do you want to worship God? How, how can you say your thanks to God? God says, then sing to me. Sing to me in your prayers. And so, boom, all of a sudden. And, of course, we know by the eve of World War II, the millions of people who were Hasidic or, or if not Hasidic themselves felt a connection. And one of the connections was the music because they dance, they sang their prayers in the synagogue. Now, what is Jewish music? That is a good question. As I had just told Adrian before, you know, we don't, you know, in 69 AD before the temple uh, was destroyed, I wish we had a recording. We don't. What we surmise, though, are these melodies or these scales. When we listen to the Yemenite, Tamanese Jews, um, the Iraqi, Iranian Jews, Jews that stayed separate, not so much North Africa that was missing, um, but but the, because the, the, the Yemenite Jews lived in these mountainous, closed regions, even though, yes, among Arabs, who they were Arabs before they were Muslims, and then they, became, and they decided to believe in Allah. And so we hear those scales, and we also know that the scales that the Jews sang to before it became Judaism, I say the music is older than these three words, Judaism, Christianity, Islam, older than the three Abraham. So most likely the scales come from Central Asia. There's some aspects to India, Pakistan, Central Asia, as well as the Levant, the Middle Eastern region. And so um, those Middle Eastern scales. So when actually when you hear music in the synagogues today that are very popish western beatles or paul simon garfunkel or or whatever your pop icon of of, of 2020 is uh nice not going to put it down if it moves you in your heart spiritually great but it it ain't jewish music to me the music that moves me the most is mizrahi is that the that middle eastern sound those those scales the scales that you can't play really on the piano. The piano has white keys. Yes, I hope. And you have black ivory. You have your black and your white. So I tell students it's all the gray keys. And if you have gray keys, 
Go take that $35,000 Steinway and get it rebuilt. Get your money back because you don't want gray keys. But it's the gray keys. It's all those quarter tones. The Maccabim. Beautiful, Rabbi, the Maccabim. So that's it. So that's probably the, the real sense of Jewish music. But like anything, things we borrow. Jews, we're adapters. We like our cuisine. You know, what is real Jewish cuisine? Who knows? So I, so I, I find that palette of music is like, is like the, like the chef's palette. It, it borrows, takes, but we, but there's always the intrinsic, always the, the pintalagi, the, the Jew there. I also love and enjoy tremendously Middle Eastern music, both Jewish and non-Jewish. Love Me to too. listen to Um Kultum, Farik Al Atrash. Ah. Uh, and in general, yes, uh, yes. Middle, Middle Eastern music moves me tremendously. What is interesting is that in Israel, uh, for decades in Israel, uh, uh, Middle Eastern music was relegated to the underground. It's like, uh, you know, at the beginning of the formation of the state of Israel, music sounded more like a Soviet band Uh, in the kibbutzim, socialist and communist kibbutzim, than anything. Music was very regimental. It's like a communism. Um, then you know, there was a transition, and and the only place that uh, you could actually buy a tape of Mizrahi music was uh, in some shady uh, store in the Tachana Merkazit, in the uh, you know in the in the train station or the pa- uh, bus station. Today in Israel, for the last probably 15, 20 years, Mizrahi music is the most common, the most listened to, the most pop music that exists in Israel. It's like it was, it was kind of a, it went kind of a, uh, together with a cultural revolution and acceptance of Mizrahi culture in general in Israel. So that's a different story. But absolutely, today in Israel, the, the top singers are all Mizrahi singers. Yeah, yeah. And you know, one of, why, one of the reasons why, Rabbi, that it, it became so popular in Israel and really around the world now, that Middle Eastern sound is it's driven by the rhythm. People like rhythm. And when you have the doom back, different kinds of drums, and you have a, a beat, people like the beats. You know, some people come to sit down like an opera or a classical, and you're really kind of into the music, looking at the fingers, and that's fine too. But generally, guess what? People are people, you know, and they, they just want to be moved. They Whether they're working, they're with a friend, a loved one, they're dancing, or they're just dancing in the privacy of their home. And if it doesn't have a good beat, it's kind of hard to, but when you, got the drums going. And so Mizrahi music, particularly Tamani, Yemenite, but many, not many string instruments, a little bit, flutes. Now, of course, over the last hundred years, it's added. But traditionally, it was driven by drums, rhythm. And so you got it. So guess what Israelis found out? We like rhythm. Right. So let me ask a different question. You know, we spoke about a little bit the, the past, the history the various influences that the music add on our culture. What do you see? Where do you see the next evolution of Jewish music? I mean, we see like Maccabees, okay? Great, fun music. They take uh, contemporary songs and they give them a, like a Jewish twist. Very fun. Awesome. Great. Um, you know, but where do you see the evolution of Jewish music. 
Wow, that is a good question. I guess if I really knew the answer, you know, I, I could sell it on Wall Street. <laughs> we'll do an IPO. <laughs> you and I, there you go. Um, well, you know, even Jewish music, I mean, there's this African-American because he was born in Seattle. Christian, you know, family Christian. And then he, you know, had some trouble with the law, whatever, poor family. And was seeking answers, seeking, he had questions and seeking answers. And then he he went to Islam for a while. That doesn't. And then a friend of his introduced him to a rabbi, a Lubavitcher rabbi, but slowly said, you know, hmm, why do I bring him up? He's living now in Israel. His name is Nisim. Nisim Black. Oh, so you know, Nisim. Everybody knows Nisim Black. Come on. <laughs> yeah. So Nisim he's Black. Awesome. He's right. awesome. No, yeah. no, no. So here he's adding. So he's devotional. His lyrics are about Hashem and God and being one with the, the but Torah. But he's influenced tremendously by, by his rap because he was a, 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 a rap. Yes, he was a rapper. Yeah, he's yeah, still yeah. a rapper. He's still a rapper. So he's using the beats and the, and the, and the, and the rhyming scheme of his poetry. So that's interesting. But even I say, okay, but. And, and I, being a professional musician, and I say this to my students, I say, okay, do you think when you're in your 60s and your kids say, what did you listen to? And they say, oh, listen to this. And they say, oh, my God, that's so old. It's so old fogey. I said, just because you're 21 now, you ain't going to be 21 forever, guys. It's going to get, it, you know, it, it's just the way that the cycle of, of, of life is in the, in the universe. So that is a good question. I mean, I see, um, you know, you know that there are so many ways you can take a scale and break it up. I mean, Schoenberg had the twelve tone scale, and then you know, and then there's the there's the Eastern scale of, of five, you know, of Asian of the pentatonic, and as you were just saying, the macams that play, you know, in the in between. You know, if my fingers were two notes. Here's no, they play in between, and in between the in between, and in between that. So. Um, I think it's going to just keep evolving, you know, obviously rap, but obviously pop music from America, not that it has to be the greatest, whatever it is, because we have the biggest, uh, bullhorn through Hollywood and through Broadway and through television. So when you put out, and so when someone, and you know what, youth are youth, they, oh, that guy's cool. Or she's hot looking or he's handsome. Let's do that. And then, and the song could be, excuse my French, kind of shitty. It could be terrible, but all of a sudden it becomes a pop. And I go, oh, God, okay. Uh, hopefully that will run through its course of time and be a fad. And often it, it's a short fad for a couple of years. I'm waiting for stuff to move on beyond the rap that we've heard for the last 30, 40 years myself. Um, and so that's a good question. I'm always, I'm pushing the envelope. I'm using Mizrahi, but then I'm adding improvisation. And then I add other styles. I don't even know what the name is. You know, it's just what it is. It is. So um, I think there there are creative people in Israel, in America, wherever Jews are, non-Jews. You know, one doesn't have to be Jewish to play Jewish music. It's like the old the old New York City uh, on the buses. There would be a Native American eat with a smile eating a, a corned beef sandwich and says, one does not have to be Jewish to like Levy's rye bread, <laughs> you know, right. uh, you know, meeting anybody. So I think, it, I think the sky's the limit. It will be the only limitation is what the, the um, limits of what you put yourself on creativity. So um, I think it's going to go more free where it's just kind of in, incorporates different languages 
different sounds, maybe different instruments. Obviously, electronics is here to stay. And I like electronics, you know, but I still like the old fashioned instrument because I feel that's part of the extension of the human body. Um, but people will experiment more than we even can imagine. We think we've hit it just with the scratching and then, like, no, no, I think it's going to go, you know, many places, you know. So let's say maybe we'll get something like John Cage. Maybe, you know, he surprised us with his piece for four minutes and 36 seconds. What was that? You might not be familiar. Okay, get ready. It was four minutes and 36 seconds of sitting in front of the musicians and they weren't playing. Did you enjoy that? You heard people breathing, coughing. Anyhow, I think this, the, this, this, why put limits on ourselves? Perfect. Uh, we have another few minutes. And so let me ask you a last question and get your insight, which is a uh, very interesting and, and, and so knowledgeable when it comes to these topics. Um, the Klezmer is often associated with just uh, you know, Klezmer is, uh, is, is just music, no words. And there is a Kabbalistic concept that Nigunim don't have words because words limit and music without words is limitless. Talk to us a little bit about this, uh, um, this tension a little bit between music with words, which is what we're normally used to listen to versus Klezmer that is, or Nigunim, that is this wonderful music without words. Right. So first of all, lyrics, Jews have been singing, whether it's prayer melodies that came from the Torah or Midrashim or, or just poetry that they created from like David HaMelech, King David writing beautiful poetry, etc. As humans, we like it because we, we the words in our mind that create an image, a movie, a, a scene in our head. And then the music is the soundtrack and, and we're moved emotionally, whether we're sad or happy or we fall in love with whatever it creates an emotion. Um, but you're right. It was often just the instrumental. But that was one of the things interesting, again, with the advent of the Hasidim is um, they would say, yes, let's sing a song, the words. Uh, you know, um, uh, you know, the righteous we are and the purity of us is who we are. Or do we say, I, 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 bing, bong, die, di, di, die, whatever on a monopoeia sound. And some people say you do that as well. And, and some people say, but that's not lyrics. It's just sounds like uh, sounds, it, you know, it's a consonance with a vowel. And the, uh, the, the, the Kabbalists would say, and in, in, in the Hasid and the Basham, they said, no, no, whatever you're singing, I, 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 be mom, die, 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 hoi, hoi, the greater power than you, let's call it God, he, she, it, they, my, my, mine is definitely a she. Uh, <laughs> I met your wife. <laughs> you know her, yes. Very good, Rabbi. Um, and, and, and those sounds are being turned into words. So that, so that greater power doesn't have to hear the word the cat crossed the street. No, I, uh, oh, that means the cat crossed the street to the greater, if that's what's in your heart. And so I think that's the beauty. And you're right. Um, they say, why was the violin one of the favorite instruments? They even called it the Jewish instrument uh, in Europe up to, through World War II because so many Jews played and everything. But there was something about it, the crying, the laughing. They, they say the violin is closest to the voice. It speaks to me. It speaks to you. It's like your heart is an extension. So, so vocals are important, whether it's the vocal that the violin is singing 
or I am singing, you know, uh, a nigun, a nigun without words, or a beautiful song that's whether it's in Yiddish or Ivrit Hebrew or in uh, Arabic. So language is language as we, you know, as we form and, and create images and words, that's the whole study of the language. But to me, music is a language and you hit it right. And so whether you're playing the bassoon or you're playing the piccolo, it doesn't, it all speaks to the human condition. And as I said, to end it, um, why music is the art form more than any other that we participate uh, actively Sometimes who are musicians or singing, we go to a party or sing, or just passively, you're just humming or your heart, you're just sitting here, you're, 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 you're meditative, but your heart's keeping rhythm and your lungs are breathing. Yeah, as we wrap up here, I, 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 we can't do justice in one brief conversation to the breadth and diversity of your creative output, your photography, your music, your compositions, your, your performances, the documentary films, the, like there's just a lot of stuff here. I, I'd love you to end by just sharing with us briefly about your latest project, which is a children's book, an illustrated book. And if you could, just what have you learned from that format that maybe could inform the rest of us about what it is to be human? Thank you. It's my second uh, children's illustrated book. And this one actually probably up, even up to the age of 10, 11, it's, it, it, it will hold your interest. It's, it's a good story for all ages, but it's, it's, that's not a, it's not a, you know, a baby book, whatever that means. Um, it was a story and, and it's a Hanukkah story. So we can read it all year round, but obviously appropriate for the Jewish holidays, uh, the winter season. I was, I heard a little snippet when I was an oral history in Romania from this Jewish man talking about, they would go from this one town and one Jewish guy would go to Constanza to the coast, uh, which is on the Black Sea. And of course, we know port cities are interesting because people are coming from all different parts of the world so you can meet different cultures. And this during the this was during the Ottoman Empire, so Constantinople, Istanbul. Anyhow, they would get oil and, and, and bring back fruits and vegetables that were more exotic than they could get in the interior of Romania. And from that little snippet, I created this story called Schloimel Boimel. Boimel means oil in Yiddish and his lucky dreidel. And he's a klezmer trombonist. You know, why make him a fiddler? Everyone's a fiddler, a uh, fiddler on the roof, but trombonist. But anyhow, um, and what's interesting is, I'll just say, I did my first live reading and a, a man said, you know what I really liked about the story? I said, what? He says, first of all, it's set in Romania. We often hear about Poland, you know, Jewish stories or Lithuania, Russia. I never. And he says, there's a man who's Sephardic or Middle Eastern Jewish. His last name is Abu Lafia. And it's on the port city of Constanza. So he says, you, you added elements we never think about, of course, of East European Jewish culture. And I said, well, I'm glad I enlightened you. And um, so people can um, find that it's, uh, if I may say, it's uh, it's being sold on Etsy. What is that? E-T-S-Y dot com. Um, the publisher is a small publisher, but a very good publisher. I'll put a plug in for them. They did the first translation of Harry Potter in Yiddish. And overnight, he sold out his first, like, 2000 books, you know, you, you know, some just wanted it. Can't, it's a collector's item. Other people are reading Yiddish. So um, I'm, I'm proud of the story because um, I was able to take some of my research and knowledge that I learned in Romania and make it something that's uh, a, a story for all people, because it's also it's about human values. Well, if I can editorialize just a little bit as we close the show, you know, it's always fascinating to me, the radical implications of the kind of research and creative output, Yale, that you've done. Because you, although you're honoring traditions that to are to a certain 
sense, discrete. What you're really revealing is the permeability, the improvisation, the interconnections between the threads of our human experience. Uh, And I think that's something that if we really understood that we're not talking about discrete, compartmentalized, unique artifacts from a past, we're talking about a living, breathing tradition that interacts with the world, both in terms of adoption and contribution, we would have a much richer sense for all of us, however we're situated in this human tapestry uh, of, of our own humanity. Yale Strom has become the world's leading ethnographer and artist of klezmer music and history. Thanks so much for joining us for this conversation. Adrian, my pleasure. And Rabbi, always a pleasure. I love your, Rabbi had such a great smile. Thank you. We'll be in touch, Rabbi. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. Absolutely. If you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe to Conversation with the Rabbi on your favorite podcast app. You can also find the latest episodes online at conversationwiththerabbi.com. For all of us here at phx.fm, I'm Adrian McIntyre. Thanks for listening, and please join us for the next Conversation with the Rabbi.